Peter said, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, Peter's giving a general warning to God's people that a time of testing of God's people had arrived. So this is not some big pronouncement that the day of judgment is here. That's not what he's saying. The house of God in this passage is referring to the local body of believers, the local church. Judgment is not punishment for sins, but the trials and afflictions that test us as believers and prove us. So listen to that again. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. This is not the statement, and understand this please, this is not a statement of the arrival of a specific event. It is a general warning that Christians must be aware when their church is entering a period of challenge, of difficulty, of testing. So Peter's saying, church, this, what you're going through, is one of those inevitable times of testing. And I believe, as a general warning, that these words, the time has come that that judgment must begin at the house of God, I believe that these words are precisely appropriate for believers at this moment. None of us knows exactly for sure what God's doing in the world right now, but I want you to think about this. Very rarely does something impact the entire world. I may be wrong about this, I'm not a historian, but in my opinion, in my general understanding of recent history, the last time an event impacted the entire world was World War II. And somebody that I trust as a World War II historian told me that there there is no comprehensive history of World War II that you can read because World War II touched every corner of the earth. Now, you could make the argument that 9-11 affected the whole world, but here's the point. 9-11, if you said, you know, I want to just escape all this, there were places you could go. Right now, There's nowhere you can go to escape this. This is impacting the entire world. So this has got to be God. You will not convince me that God is not doing something here. So whatever else this is, one thing is certain. This is a time of testing for God's people. I believe when Peter says the time of judgment, uh, the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. I think it's important for us to see that statement as also saying that testing always begins with the people of God. When God is going to do something, he begins by proving, by testing his own people. And I think Besides just the world being quarantined, well, not I think, it's very clear. Besides the world being quarantined right now, the church is being quarantined. Church doors are closed around the world. This is most likely 
our last public service for quite a while. The church is being quarantined. And we've got to pay attention. I believe this is a time of testing for God's people. God's church is being tested. The faith of God's people is being tested. Churches across America will not be the same when this thing is over as they were when it began. It's a time of proving. And I'm going to take it another step just as a consideration for you to ponder. This whole thing could very well be preparing God's churches for what God is going to do next. I don't know. But I know this. Whatever happens, I want to be as close to God as I can be. If there is going to emerge, and I think it would be a wonderful thing, if in every sect of American Christianity, the truest and the purest believers, I'm talking about the real ones, were to emerge from this whole thing. In every crowd, every group. You know, there's so many different crowds in, in Christianity. But imagine if in every one of them, as a result of this time of testing, the real ones were to emerge. I don't mean that the, the rest of them die. I mean, anytime there's a time of purging, the people who are not really serious about the Lord have a way of falling by the wayside. And I think it would be a wonderful thing that if in American Christianity, in every sect, every group, if you want to call it denomination, whatever, every movement, every crowd, if the truest and the purest were to emerge for God to use us to do whatever he's going to do next. But whatever God is doing, and I have no doubt that he's doing something, whatever God is doing, I want to be with him. I want to be as close to him as I can. And if you do too, then I want to ask you, please, to take out a pen and a piece of paper and write down three words. Write down the word examine. Under that, write the word turn. And under that, write the word connect. Examine, turn, and connect. I feel like I need to give the whole introduction again but I'm not going to for sake of time but but let me urge you to consider if God is doing something on this earth and if God is testing his church and his people God is moving among us he is watching very carefully this is a time to be taken very seriously so if you and I have had a tendency to take our Christianity lightly to let some days go by where we just sort of ignore God to be half-hearted in our relationship with God maybe even to dabble in sin and the things of the world a little bit because we know God will forgive us when we're done to have some associations that we really know we're not supposed to have you know to take this time you know okay if 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 we take this time to just to just binge on movies and shows that we've never seen before and explore things on the internet that we've never explored before, we failed the test. But if we take this time to get closer to Christ and become more passionate about him than we've ever been before, maybe God can use us to impact our city like he's never used us before. Maybe. But whatever happens, 
I want to be closer to him than I've ever been before. So you've got three words there. Examine, turn, connect. And forgive me if I really focus on my notes from here on out because I want to get this exactly right. Examine. If you want to be closer to God when this is over, however it ends, spend your time at home examining, turning, and connecting. Let's talk about examine first. The Bible speaks often of examining yourself. More specifically, letting God examine you. Psalm 26, verse 2, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And then the end of the chapter, verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he begins the psalm by saying, Lord, you have searched me. He ends by the, the, the psalm by saying, Lord, search me again. It's an ongoing process. Lord, keep on searching my heart and showing me where I need to grow and what needs to be fixed. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, 28. Let a man examine himself. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, if you'll search your heart, examine your own heart regularly, and fix those things, then nobody else will have to fix it. God won't have to fix it. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Galatians 6, 4, let every man prove his own work. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Doesn't mean you lose it. It means you never had it. 2 Peter 1, 10, give diligence to make your calling and election Sure. Again, doesn't mean make sure you're more saved. It means make sure you are saved. Examine yourself. And here's what examine yourself, how I'm applying it today and how we need to apply it every day. Two great questions. Number one, am I saved? Say, Pastor, you kidding me on a day like this? You think I'd come to church if I weren't saved? I'm not asking you to prove to me that you're saved. I'm asking you to re-examine your heart and make sure that you've been saved. I'm not talking about, <clears throat> did I pray the right prayer? And by the way, I know all these questions because for seven years of my youth, these, this question haunted me, am I really saved? And so I asked these questions, and they're not good questions. Did I cry when I prayed, am I really saved? Was I sorry enough for my sins? Am I really saved? No, that's not, those are not the questions. The question is, or the questions are, were you overcome with the realization that you are a sinner in God's sight? Were you overcome with the realization that a holy God must judge your sin? Were you overcome with the realization that you are hopelessly and eternally damned because of your sins? Did you believe that Jesus is God? Did you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place? Did you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death? Did you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection fully satisfied the holiness and justice of God? And then knowing and believing these things, did you plead guilty to your sin? 
Did you let go of your allegiance to sin and turn to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? And here's a question. Are you aware every day that your faith is in Jesus Christ? Hear me carefully. You don't have to do anything to stay saved. But here's what we do too often. When, when someone comes and says, hey, you know what? I'm having doubts about my salvation. We take them back and have them reassess whether or not they got it way back when. But the question is not whether or not you got it. The question is whether or not you have it. See, you don't have to do anything to keep it. But if you don't have it, you never got it. If you're not certain that you were saved, but you know all the things that I just... So, I mean, you could, you could spout off the Bible, inside the, the Romans road inside and out, but you just lack that confidence. Here's what I urge you to do as somebody who faced this same battle for a long time as a child. Take what you know and go to the Lord and seek the Lord with your Bible. Study the doctrines of salvation in the Bible. And don't let go of the Lord until he gives you that peace and that confidence that you have salvation. Do I, have I been saved? That's the first grade. As you examine your heart, have I been saved? Second part of examine is, let me stop and say this, by the way. I've got this written down. I need to say it. Listen carefully. 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. But we still murder 4,000 unborn babies every single day. Something about that math doesn't add up. It tells me that we have a lot of people sitting in a lot of churches are not saved. Now, I think that percentage would be a lot lower in our church. I'm talking about the percentage of people that are not saved because you hear the gospel and are given the opportunity to respond on a regular basis. A week doesn't go by where you don't hear that. Nevertheless, I know from personal experience it is possible to just make peace with all those nagging doubts. Don't make peace with those doubts. Let God Bring his peace into your soul and give you the confidence that you've been saved. So the first question is you examine, am I saved? But if your answer is a resounding yes, as it is for me, then here's the next question as you examine. Am I living a life consistent with my new birth? Does my life manifest the works of the flesh or the works of the spirit? Here, the two compared in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. They, 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 they show themselves. They display themselves. They are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That means looseness or indulgence. Idolatry, that means serving anything but God. Witchcraft, that means interacting with any spirit that is not the spirit of God. Hatred. Variance. Variance means always causing conflict and division. Emulations. That means unhealthy competitiveness and comparison. That's not every time you play a ball game, you got to win it. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's in personal things. You always got to one-up people. You always got to outdo people so that you can claim that you're better. That's 
what variance is. I'm sorry, that's what uh, emulations are. Wrath, strife, sedition. Seditions means sowing discord. Heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling. Reveling means no self-control. You know what reveling means? It means a carousel. When you ride that, not a merry-go-round at the amusement park, but that thing at the park that goes round and round and round, and when you've gone around and around enough times and you let go, you have no control of yourself. That's what revelings means. No self-control. And such like. Those are the works of the flesh. Does, does that describe your lifestyle? Does that describe your thinking, your spirit? Then... You, have, you, have, you, you need to check the way you're living. And by the way, if you are an utter failure on question two, you need to go back and take a look at question one. Am I saved? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are the manifestations in the life of the saved person. So examine. Take this quarantine time to examine yourself. Have I been saved? And am I living like I've been saved? Then the second word is turn. And the second two words go a lot faster than the first one did. Turn. The life of the believer needs to be a life of constant turning to the Lord. Why? Because our sinful, weak human flesh is constantly turning us away from the Lord. Lamentations 3.40, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Hosea 6.1, come and let us return unto the Lord. Hosea 12.6, turn thou to thy God. Zechariah 1.3, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me and I will turn unto you. Acts 26.20, repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. By the way, that verse and the next two are all spoken to believers. Revelation 3.3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent, which means turn. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. All three of those, those last three verses written to believers. And you can make the argument that some of the other, other ones are as well. Because turning to the Lord... Is something that we've got to do every single day. After we examine ourselves, we turn to the Lord. To stay passionately in love with God, on fire for God, your life must be a constant daily effort of examining and turning. Do you want, Christian, a personal revival? But there's one more word, and we'll close with this, and that's the word connect. I've got to, on purpose, connect with God every day, all day. Now, God has provided us with five direct connections, and we talk about them often, but let's give them to you again. Number one, the cross of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But now, yet, now, Let's start over. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Your second connection to God, the Spirit of God who lives within you. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, meaning if you've been made alive, saved by the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. Connect with the Holy Spirit every day. Acknowledge that He's there. Yield to the Spirit every single day. Make sure you're not grieving Him. Make sure you're not quenching Him. Third connection to God, the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick. And powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our fourth connection is the throne of God. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4.16. And our fifth connection, and the one that's being distanced from us for a time, is the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts 42, 42. What I did here, I took Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, and I pieced together some phrases. It doesn't change the context one bit. It just helps you see how much it talks about believers meeting together. Listen to this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and all that believed were together continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole world is in quarantine. This is very odd, very unusual. The church is in quarantine worldwide. What will emerge? What if the purest most sincere believers were to emerge from every sect of American Christianity at the end of this quarantine. I don't know if it will. I don't know what will happen. But I want to be as close to God as I can, be, as I can get, and I think you do too. Spend this time examining, turning again to him, connecting with him every day by the means that he has provided. Father, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd help us to pursue you by examining, turning, connecting. Examining, turning, connecting. Day after day. And help us to live there with you each day. I pray. Work in hearts, I pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. The piano is going to play. The altar is open. You can talk to God at the altar. You can talk to God there where you are at your seat. God help me.